The following podcast is from Tabernacle Baptist Church in Cartersville, Georgia. Thanks for listening. Well, it is uh, it's good to be with you this morning, uh, though not under these circumstances. So I hate that I get to meet you like this, but uh, we will. Uh, I'm sure we'll cross paths again somewhere down the road. I've been with Georgia Baptist Mission Board just over a year now, so kind of getting back out. I'm originally from uh, Georgia and uh, the Gwinnett County area. I actually served as a pastor in Marietta for almost 10 years uh, before the Lord exiled me to Nashville, Tennessee. I don't know why he did that, but I've been gone about 23 years, so it's good to be back, good to be back home and uh, to be in Georgia. Brother Don, thank you for and that's, this is three times in a row. That's work, buddy. That's, that's what that is. That's a lot of work. And your worship team, a great job uh, today. And I appreciate, uh, appreciate them leading us in worship. If you want to take your Bibles and find um, Genesis chapter 22. Genesis chapter 22. I know you're disappointed today because uh, Pastor Patrick was uh, going to be uh, preaching on the end times out of the book of Mark. And uh, he was going to share with you today uh, the exact day in which Jesus is going to return. And so uh, the Lord gave him COVID to let him think about that for another week or so. But uh, uh, be back when he comes back because he is going to tell you what that day is. So don't, don't miss that. And uh, we'll look forward to reading about all of that in uh, the newspapers. Um, we, do, uh, we do want to be praying for uh, the pastor and uh, his going through this time, this COVID, and what an odd time. I told last service how weird is it to be able to say a sentence, not finish it, but everybody knows what you're talking about. When you say, um, pastor has symptoms. Everybody knows what we're talking about today. Uh, nine months ago, we'd have said symptoms of what? But uh, today we know exactly what we're talking about, unfortunately. But um, it is, uh, once again, thank you for allowing me to be with you. You're a part of uh, approximately 35, uh, a little over 3,500 churches that make up the Georgia Baptist Convention that together we seek to reach the 7 million lost people who live in the state of Georgia. Um, 7 million of the 10 million that live here, 7 million of those we know are lost, uh, probably more than that actually, but uh, in partnering together to reach uh, Georgia and to take the gospel to the ends of the earth. And uh, someday I'd love to come back and share with you all about what that looks like. But your church has been uh, historically one of the leading churches in supporting the ministries of Georgia Baptist Convention. And we, uh, we really appreciate you, appreciate the partnership, and uh, we appreciate your generosity. And, uh, and thank you for letting me serve you as a Georgia Baptist. Um, you know, weddings have a lot of different parts, do they not? Uh, one of the parts are the vows. It's where the husband or the bride and the groom look at one another and they exchange vows. The, offici- uh, the official of the ceremony, the minister, he's kind of feeding them the lines as they're repeating those lines. And usually goes something like this, I take you to be my wife or I take you to be my husband, to have and to hold from this day forward. And then those very familiar phrases that we uh, repeat for better or for what? Worse. Uh, for richer or for poorer, in sickness and in health, right? And um, I've performed a lot of wedding ceremonies over the years and married myself. I, I'm convinced most couples stand there that day and they focus on the richer, the better, and the health, right? I mean, those are the things that we, that we want to focus on. At that moment, when they are repeating those vows, they're not even considering worse and sickness and poorer. 
That just is not even in the equation. That's why we say the vows. We know there's a risk. There's some things that are going to come. We make a commitment to say, I'm with you forever. It doesn't matter what happens. It doesn't matter what comes our way. And there's so many things that can happen to a marriage to kind of run it off track, threaten the stability of that marriage. Could be sickness, uh, could be unemployment, it could be um, in-law issues, could be any number of things that happen in our marriages. And so many people today are approaching those relationships with kind of a shallow uh, commitment, if you want to even call, uh, use the word commitment that is there, shallow commitment. And, uh, and that's so sad, but what is even sadder than that is that our faith can be like that sometimes as well. Um, we make a commitment, oh, I love you, Lord, as long as it's uh, better, for the better, as long as it's uh, for richer, as long as it is for health. But if somehow I'm inconvenienced here, God, uh, there, there's some things that I expect in this relationship that you, be doing, that you would be doing for me. And uh, so you're going to do certain things for me, God. And if you don't do those certain things for me, then I'm going to bail out of this. And I've known, and you have too, you've known the casualties of war, faith war, spiritual war, whatever you want to call that. And you could look around today, and not just because of COVID, but you know of people that you would say they once were so faithful. They once walked with Jesus so close. I don't know where they are, what happened to them. And what happened to them was, in the day that they made that commitment, what they meant was, as long as it feels good, as long as it's for richer as long as it's for better, then I'm in. But if anything falls short of that, then I'm definitely getting out of this whole thing. And um, we start, I want to start with a question this morning. The question is this, how do you know if your faith is any good? How, how do you know if your faith is strong? And the answer to that question is, get it tested, Right? We all know a lot about tests these days. Well, get it tested. When your faith is tested, you discover the quality of the faith that you have. And what we're going to discover today as uh, we look at this passage together is that true faith is strengthened by the tests that come in our lives. We live a life of ease. We never, our faith never is strengthened. We, we have weak faith because of that. And Ann Kimmel, Kimmel wrote it like this. She said, faith is kind of like jumping out of an airplane at 10,000 feet. If God does not catch you, you splatter. But how do you know whether or not he is going to catch you if you do not jump? Many of us live our lives in following after the Lord and never jump. The passage this morning we're going to look at a guy by the name of Abraham, Genesis 22, and we're going to see that his faith is tested, but his faith is also, he comes out of it triumphant. We're going to talk about how he does that. But first of all, note this, first thought, if you like to take notes this morning, God will test our faith. God will test our faith. Genesis chapter 22, beginning in verse 1. After these things, God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, here I am, he answered. I want to stop right there. The word tested right here means to prove the quality of something. So God is going to take Abraham through something to prove the quality of Abraham's faith. Now, the fact is most of us don't like a testing God, do we? I mean, I, I didn't sign up for a testing God. We, we don't like the idea that once we make that commitment to follow God, that at some point or at some 
points along the journey, God is going to put our faith to the test. Most of us would say, I didn't sign up for that. That's that's not the agreement that I made. What I want is, I want a God that's a lot more like a, a recreational director on a cruise ship. You know, it's his job to make sure that I'm happy and that I'm served and that everything goes exactly like I want. He is here, God is here in this relationship to pamper me. He is not here to try me. As a matter of fact, there's an entire theology out there that denies the whole purpose of pain and trials in our life as we follow after God and the journey that we have with Him. Rather, they want to focus on the richer. They want to focus on the better. They want to focus on the health alone. And so what happens is they deny the whole worth of the other side and the value that that holds for our faith in being those that have our faith that is tested and so our faith grows stronger. Listen to what Peter said about that. In 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 6, Peter said, You rejoice in this, though now for a short time you have had to be distressed by various trials. So that, why would you be distressed by trials? Peter says, so that the genuineness of your faith, the genuineness of your faith, more valuable than gold, which perishes through refined fire, Uh, refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. The way we know our faith is genuine is to have that faith tested. Now, there are two parts to testing our faith. First part is this. First part is preparation. We are prepared for the test that is to come. The verse begins, verse 1, it begins with these words, after these things. And those words are not there by accident. The Holy Spirit didn't just kind of put those in there as a filler of space. These words have significance. Significant piece of information. It gives us the background, gives us the context of what we are about to read. After these things, after what things after the things that we read in chapter 21 in the life of Abraham and all that God was doing. And what is not immediate, if you don't take a little time to study and dig a little bit, what is not immediate is that there are at least 15 years between the end of chapter 21 and the beginning of chapter 22. It was a time of peace. Uh, It was a time of growth. It was Abraham and his wife Sarah and their son Isaac had this time of rest and growth and peace in their life as a family. It doesn't say exactly what they've been doing, but you can just imagine. I mean, here's this old guy, Abraham, his, his wife Sarah have been infertile for, for all of these years, and they have this miraculous child, Isaac. And I would imagine as Abraham and Sarah and Isaac would walk in the evening and they would have those talks that you would have as a family, how Abraham and Sarah would share with Isaac about how God had made this promise and God had come through on this promise, how this event happened, how Isaac got here in the first place, God's fulfillment of a promise that they awaited on for 25 years to have this son. And they're sharing this now with Isaac to say to Isaac, Isaac, God is faithful. And now we're going to talk about the plans that God has for your life and all that God has promised to Abraham that would come through Isaac in the multiplication of Abraham's tribe. It would have been a time of peace and joy and sharing as a family. A family Abraham and Sarah never thought they would have. Never thought they would have that son. It was after these things, this peaceful time of preparation in their life. It says God tests, very next words, after these things, God tests Abraham. So just remember, 
There's a time of preparation, and some of you are in it right now. You would say today, message like this, you would say, yeah. And we're kind of cruising right now. Everything is going really well for us. And I would say to you, this is a time of preparation. God is getting you prepared for the test that is going to stretch your faith. The time of preparation was God giving Abraham broad shoulders to carry a big test that God is about to give him in the next verses. So preparation. Then comes the pain. It is the test itself. In verse 2, he says, "Take God says, take your son, he said, your only son Isaac, whom you love, go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains that I will tell you about. Now, it doesn't take a lot of imagination to understand how those words that God has just spoken to Abraham had to crush Abraham's spirit. Isaac represented all of Abraham's hopes, all of Abraham's dreams, Abraham's future, as he would understand it. They all rested in Isaac. He had waited 25 years for this kid to be born, and it's only by God's grace now that Isaac is there. And now all of a sudden, out of nowhere, Abraham is blindsided. This can't be. I mean, God, you promised. God, you've set this whole thing up. This cannot be. I mean, have you ever been there? I know I have. He's kind of rocking along, right? You're in preparation. You don't even realize it, but you're in preparation. And the tests come. And that's always the way the test comes. It comes out of nowhere. We're blindsided. And we're like, God, I didn't see that coming at all. Well, that's Abraham. As God comes to him and gives these instructions. And his dilemma is so clear, is it not? God has promised Abraham that he would have a son, and through that son, the earth would be blessed by that son Isaac, and the tribe of Abraham would multiply. And so here is, here is Abraham's dilemma. The promises of God required that Isaac live, and the command of God required that Isaac die. Those two things cannot be reconciled. He's, he's in a dilemma. He finds himself. Now, let me ask you this morning, you ever find yourself there? When you look at your life, you look at the promises of God, and God's commands do not line up with what God has promised. Well, God, you promised me that if, if I gave, you would take care of me. And now, God, look at the situation I'm in and, and look at the losses that I'm experiencing. God, I don't understand. Lord, you said if I give up my life, that I'm to give up my life in order to save it, that I am, if I'm to gain, that I'm, I'm going to have to sacrifice. But God, those things don't line up. And the real issue was this, Abraham, Abraham, do you love me more? That is the question that God is putting on the table for Abraham and for us this morning. Abraham, do you love me more? Take your son, your only son, notice whom you love. Abraham, do you love him more than you love me? Abraham, I know you're a great man of faith. Uh, we, we started this journey together. I told you to leave a land that you had known in your family and take off in a direction you had no idea to a land you'd never seen before. And Abraham, I saw you the other day singing in church about how you would sing and you would worship me until I didn't have a voice anymore, right? What we just sang. So Abraham, I, I know you're a great man of faith, but this is my question for you, Abraham, and for you, Tabernacle. Do you love me more than you love? For Abraham, it was his son. For us, it may be something different, but do you love me more 
I know you love me. I get that, God says. But are there some other things that start creeping in? And so I I don't want to scare you this morning. I'm not saying God's going to do anything bad in your life this week. But whatever you're holding, whatever you're treasuring, that you hold, you treasure more than God, do not be surprised if at some point God touches that very thing and he, he requires you to deal with that person, he requires you to deal with that career, he requires you to deal with that bank account, whatever it happens to be. And God said, it seems to me that you're trusting that more than you're trusting me. Do you love that? Do you love him, he says to Abraham, more than you love me? Our faith will be tested. So how do we come out of it triumphant? Here's the next thing. Notice your faith is triumphant as we reflect on the character of God. We are triumphant as we reflect on the character of God. I want you to look at the story with me, beginning at verse 3, chapter 22 of Genesis. So Abraham got up early in the morning, saddled his donkey, and took with him two of his young men and his son Isaac. He split wood for a burnt offering and set out to go to the place God had told him about. And on the third day, Abraham looked up and saw the place in the distance. Then Abraham said to his young men, stay here with the donkey. The boy and I will go over there to worship, then we'll come back to you. Abraham took the wood for the burnt offering and laid it on his son Isaac. In his hand, he took the fire and knife, and the two of them walked on together. Then Isaac spoke to his father Abraham, and he said, My father, he replied, Here I am, my son. Isaac said, The fire and the wood are here, but where's the lamb for the burnt offering? Abraham answered, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. And the two of them walked on together. And when they arrived at the place that God had told him about, Abraham built the altar there and arranged the wood. He bound his son Isaac, placed him on the altar on top of the wood. Then Abraham reached out, and he took the knife to slaughter his son. And the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham, he replied, here I am. Then he said, do not lay a hand on the boy or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God since you have not withheld your only son from me. And Abraham looked up and saw a ram caught in the thicket by its horn. So Abraham went and he took the ram and he offered it as a burnt offering in place of his son. Now one of the things that strikes me about the text is this. It never describes how Abraham felt emotionally about this particular situation. It just says he just did what God told him to do. It doesn't tell us about anything of his emotions. I think that's, I think that's because he doesn't really have to, does he? They don't have to tell us how Abraham was feeling here. I mean, if you're a father and you're trying to go to sleep the night before and you know the next day you're going to get up and slay your son, take a knife and take your son's life, would you not be a little bit emotionally distraught? And so Abraham is wrestling through this. Any parent would understand that if your kid is going to have surgery the next morning, you lay awake all night praying and thinking about what is just in front of your child. As a dad, I can only imagine Abraham tossing and turning and dealing with this emotionally. But what the text does highlight for us is this amazing faith this man has. He heard God and he simply responded in obedience. And he makes some incredible statements that demonstrate his faith. Look at verse 5. Then Abraham said to his young men, 
stay here with the donkey. The boy and I will go over there to worship, then we'll come back to you. That is an incredible statement of faith. We will come back to you. And you look at that and you say, well, how could you say that, Abraham? Abraham, shouldn't you say, I'll be back? Like, I'll, I'll come back, but he says, we'll be back. So in light of God's command, how could Abraham make that statement? Here's how. At some point, I believe it was the night before this event was to take place, Abraham is thinking about all of this in his mind. And he's thinking this through, and he's thinking, well, you know, God made a promise my son would live, but also at the same time God is now commanding that my son is to die. And Abraham is tossing and turning at this point in his tent that night. And there are only one of a few options for Abraham at this point. I mean, one option is that God is fickle. God is simply fickle. He cannot be trusted. And yet Abraham is thinking to himself, that's not the God I know. The God I know, what I know of that God and that God's character, that God is not a fickle God. In fact, God has always proven himself in my life to be faithful. I've seen him time and time and time again to meet our needs, so I know God is faithful. So that just leaves option number two. And option number two is that God is exact and God can be trusted even though I cannot see how he's going to do this. And maybe some of you are thinking, well, you know, Mark, uh, you're just making that up. You know, you kind of have this overactive imagination, which I do at times. But you have this overactive imagination to the text. Well, let, let me ask you, did, when, you were in, uh, when you were in school in math, any of you have the answers in the back of the book? Well, th- those were great days, were they not? I just, you know always the even numbers. I don't know why they left out the odd number, but anyway. So, so we have the answer in the back of the book. Well, the same is the case here. The answer is in Hebrews chapter 11, when it talks about Abraham and how he processed this and what he was thinking, actually. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 17, by faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac, right? The thing we're talking about. He who had received the promises was offering up his unique son about whom it had been said, in Isaac your seed will be called. In other words, uh, in Isaac uh, we're, we're going to see this fulfillment of uh, the multiplication of your tribe. And then it says, he, in the process of this thing of God's asking now to sacrifice Isaac, the next verse says in Hebrews, he, Abraham, considered He considered God to be able even to raise someone from the dead, from which he also got back as an illustration. Now, the word considered, interesting word, can also be translated calculating or logically reasoning. Abraham is logically reasoning. It means to logically apply a process of thought to what you see in front of you. This is how it goes. Okay, God, I know you're not a liar. You made a promise, 25 years later, the promise is now fulfilled. God, you promised I was going to have a son, even though I was old and Sarah had been infertile for a number of years. Yet here's this kid, so God, you fulfill your promises. Now, God tells me to kill my son. It could be that God is erratic and false God's not really there. If, if I have to kill my son, then God clearly must be false. So, oh, there is one conclusion that I can make. I'm going to kill him 
And the scripture in Hebrews says, this was Abraham's reasoning, I'm going to kill him, and God is going to raise him from the dead. That's the faith Abraham walked with that day as he walked up that hill. I serve a God who can raise my son from the dead. So he tells these guys, we will be back. That is an incredible statement of faith. So let me say to you this morning, this is what Scripture is teaching us here. Whatever you're, whenever you're in a similar situation and you begin to think to yourself, this is illogical. Why would God allow this to happen? Why is God letting this take place? This doesn't make any sense. And by the way, God, if you had listened to me in our conversation early, earlier this week, we wouldn't be in this mess right now, right? I've had that conversation with God. I don't know about you. But God, if you'd have just, if you'd have just gone with my plan, we wouldn't, we wouldn't be here. And so those are the times when it's time to stop and to logically, I would even say theologically, right? It is time to stop and logically work your way through what do you know about God? What do you know to be true as you rehearse God's nature and you rehearse God's promises and God's, God's plans in your life? And you realize nothing is impossible with God, so I can jump. I can just fall into God's arms. Like the little boy who walked into his, to a grocery store, his dad owned a store, and the boy walks in, his dad's nowhere to be found. And the boy shouts out for his dad, and he hears a voice as it's coming back from under the floor. And the dad says, I'm down here, son. The boy walks over to the trap door that leads down into the basement of the store, and he looks, and it's pitch black. He can't see anything. And he says, but, but I can't see you. The dad says, jump, son. He says, but I can't see you. And the dad says, yes, I know that, but I can see you, and you know me. So it's okay to jump. And I think how often in my life as one who follows after God, to look at that and think, man, that's the way God is in my relationship with him because you know God, you know the kind of God that he is, you know that God can work through any circumstance, any test. So Abraham considered, logically worked through a process to say, I'm dealing with a God that if that's what it takes, God will raise my son from the dead. And it's all going to be okay. Another little secret as you walk through those times is given to us in verse 5. Abraham said to his young men, stay here with the donkey. The boy and I will go over there to worship. The great secret is when you can take your worst trial and build an altar there. I know that's counterintuitive, but you take your worst pain, your worst trial, and you build an altar there, which is the opposite of what we tend to do. The opposite, what we tend to do is, man, I, I got to get out of this mess, you know, I don't want to hang around in this, but rather what Abraham does is kind of, Abraham throws camp, he builds an altar, and he basically says, listen, from this dunghill of pain, I'm going to worship God. The boy and I will go over there and worship. Here's what amazes me about Abraham. Abraham was preoccupied with God. That is a great definition of faith, best I know, is to be preoccupied with God. That's where Abraham was in this. You see, you got a choice in your trial. We have a choice in our trials. We can either we can either look at our trials and gaze at our trials 
to gaze at our trials and uh, to glance at God. Or we can gaze at God and glance at our trials. And what Abraham chose to do is just gaze at God, to be preoccupied with God. What are, you, what are you going to be preoccupied with? Every one of us have an Isaac at some point in our life. And it's at that point God is going to be asking you, if he's not already this morning, God's going to be asking you, will you trust me for better or worse? Richer or poor? In sickness as well as in health. And Abraham comes out of this triumphant in his faith. One more, one more thing I want to show you is, this is, Abraham's faith was typical or it was a type or a shadow of something. You go through chapter 22 and you can't help but see the parallels of some events that are going to take place thousands of years later on this same exact hill on Mount Moriah, the crucifixion of Christ. Several things perk your interest. In verse 2 it says, God says to him, take your son, he said, your only son son Isaac. Now, wait a minute. That's not, a, that's not Abraham's only son. There'd already been another son born, Ishmael, born to the handmaid Hagar. But God doesn't even refer to Ishmael, the son of the flesh. He only refers to Isaac, the son of the promise. It is tantamount to saying, your only begotten son. Sound familiar? In the New Testament, it is the way that Jesus Christ is referred to. Your only begotten son for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son he also says take your son your only son Isaac whom you love now theologians love to point out the first time that a word or phrase is used anywhere in scripture it's sort of cast if you would for the rest of scripture how that word or that phrase is to be used you can write out Right next to this verse, you can write out, this is the first time the word love is used anywhere in Scripture. Now watch this. This is the love of a father for his son, just as he is about to give that son as a sacrifice. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. In verse 2, it says, go to the land of Moriah. Second Chronicles informs us that's where the temple is built. If you were to go there today to Jerusalem, you were to follow the slope of Mount Moriah, go up to the place where the temple once stood, and you follow it all the way to the peak. The peak is called Golgotha, which is where Jesus Christ himself was crucified. Abraham was taking his son to the top of Mount Moriah. Something else in verse 4, he says, on the third day, I mean for three days, Abraham and Isaac went up the mountain. In Abraham's mind, Isaac was already dead. And it's on the third day, it says, the angel came and the Lord restrained Abraham from taking his son. In Isaac's mind, I mean in Abraham's mind, in Abraham's heart, it had to be as if it were resurrection day for his son Isaac on the third day. And so you clearly see the similarities to the sacrifice of God's own son, Jesus Christ, to come thousands of years later. The difference is that Abraham did not go through with it, but God the Father did indeed go through with it when he gave his own son, Jesus Christ, to become the Lamb. It's interesting. Abraham told Isaac, God will provide a lamb. But you read the story, God doesn't provide a lamb here. 
It was a ram that was in the thicket, right? It was a ram. But God, Abraham said, God will provide a lamb. Well, do you know in the New Testament, John the Baptist, it's kind of the pages of the New Testament opens, John the Baptist says as he sees Jesus coming, tells everybody, behold, the lamb who takes away the sin of the world. What a fulfillment of this promise. As Abraham raised that knife that day to kill his son, I would imagine all the angels in heaven paused and said, my, how that man loves God. And then thousands of years later, as Jesus Christ drew his last breath on the cross, the angels paused again and said, my, how God loves man. Do you trust him? Even when it doesn't make sense? Can you build an altar there and worship him? Can you logically work through, this is, this is God's nature. I see what's going on here, but this is, this is God's nature. And I'm trusting God and God's nature and what I know of God and how God has provided in the past. What I'm looking at today looks horrible. But I've seen God work through this in the pages of Scripture and in my own life, and I'm going to trust him with it. That's what God's asking us today. Will you trust me? For more information, visit us online at tabernaclebaptist.org. Thanks for listening.